lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a wash party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's still me. With me, as always, with a considerable chip on his shoulder, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Nothing much, Mike. Just got done watching the uh, Giants do what we knew they were going to do against the Cooper Rush-led Dallas Cowboys. Let's go! You mean watch them lose? Uh, do what I thought they were going to do. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, 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 yesterday's podcast, I said that the uh, Eagles would be the only NFC team that was undefeated because the Giants were still hanging around, and we knew how that was going to end. Well, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, you may not need this advice, but just in case, we always appreciate it if you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review if this is your first time. Check out the DraftKings YouTube channel with the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. playlist on there as well. Um, and yes, Brandon, you are correct. The New York Giants, and really I should say the Dallas Cowboys, saved us from having to have a really awkward conversation about a 3-0 New York Giants team and their legitimacy in ways that would not have been warranted. It would have felt no. an awful lot like Iowa football in uh, 2021 when at one point in the year they were the second-ranked team in the country and we all knew good and damn well that was not the second-best team in college football. And so, thankfully, cooler heads prevailed on this one. And now, to your point about the Eagles, the Eagles and the Miami Dolphins are the only remaining undefeated teams in the NFL just like I think everyone would have probably predicted for the Eagles, but not the Dolphins. No, but I think the, the two and nine people definitely were, were hedging that way. All, all, they were hoping for, for this result, but who could have thought? Who could have thunk it? Yeah, no, trying to get inside the minds of two and on. Uh, not something that we're going to do around here, even though. This is a podcast where at least one of the hosts said that Miami looks like a playoff team very early on in this season, and certainly stand by that now. We have an awesome show today. We promised you some college football on Tuesdays, as we usually get to, so ACC Network and ESPN football analyst Roddy Jones is going to stop by, proud Georgia Tech alum. 
Going to talk about everyone wanting Deion Sanders to be the name in front of the Georgia Tech job that just opened up recently. Clemson and Michigan both looking a little bit struggly against their opponents this weekend in college football and how we think that plays out down the stretch of the season. And of course, etiquette when going to a county fair because I caught Rowdy right before he was getting ready to take his family to the fair. And you got to have a plan of attack going into those places, Brandon, because they're big, they offer you a lot, and if you don't, it's like a target. You'll go in and spend $200 without even thinking what's going on. Absolutely. it's like Or like a good food truck fair. You got to spend $75 per food truck or else you're not trying the things. Um, Mike, what is a, a good state fair memory for you? So in Connecticut, and really the East Coast in general, there's this big fair called the Big E that goes on every year and it travels okay. up and down around the east coast and there's usually concerts associated with it it brings a lot of different uh regional staples as far as food and brings them all to one spot in addition to the normal fried stuff you can go see farms animal you know farm stuff tractors animals that you can pet and stuff like that so i would say that's up there and then uh, for me, my family, we lived in Avon, Connecticut growing up. There's a town called Simsbury next to us that used to have a county fair every year or a town fair every year. And this was, I'm talking like three or four years ago when me and my family would go. So me and my brother and sister are all grown <laughs> and we would go and they would have a bingo tent set up and it's mm. you know a dollar a card bingo for babies and old people. And we're posted up at a table in there absolutely ruining everyone else's time one because we were fucking winning like it was going out of style like it was on sale and we were the only ones that got the message but we were also letting everybody know it i'm out here salt bang the little markers onto my desk we're slamming the table as each of us win and we're winning a lot so i'm surprised we didn't get thrown out of there but we definitely set a tempo that very few other people matched no, I appreciate that. Obviously, uh, this isn't obvious. I say it obviously, but around Louisville, Kentucky, there's a lot of church picnics that happen mm. in the summer. But there's obviously that one big state fair. That's that big thing. That's when I uh, first developed my fear of goats because my friend Taylor almost got ate, eaten by a goat in our um, state fair a couple, you know, when we were in elementary school. Dead eyes, those goats. I can't stand them. Uh, really the mark of the devil. Um, but anyways, uh, outside of that, <laughs> and eating deep fried Oreos and things like that, like those are, that's my state fair thing. Uh, Jack Harlow and his album, he's got a song called State Fair. It just lets me know that the state fair is very important to everyone who ever grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. But at what age did you know the difference between a Manhattan lobster roll and a Connecticut lobster roll? A Manhattan lobster roll. Isn't that the mean, two? Isn't that the two? Well, I mean, it's usually Maine lobster is the one that everyone associates with. Okay, no, okay. One's one's warm and one's cold. Oh, I, I honestly, those a lot of those like small differences still sort of evade me. I just eat the food. I'm still kind of my dad in that way, and I've probably become more of my okay. dad where I'm less picky about what goes in or the difference. I'm a bad guy to ask for rec restaurant recommendations to. Like, shout out to Andy Staples who's come on the podcast. When I landed in Norman, Oklahoma this past weekend and tweeted about a restaurant I was going to, I got a text from Andy with three or four places to check out while I was there because he's done a great wow. job in addition to covering college football of also cataloging great eats across the country i'm terrible at that stuff i see something i appreciate i usually ask what the best thing that someone does at a particular restaurant is i eat that 
and then I go, okay, that was good or that was bad. It's kind of like movies with me to where it's more of a binary than it's some long, drawn-out check sheet of how I enjoy this. It's just, does this elicit a good feeling? Whether that's a yum, whether that's some tears, whether that's a, mm, oh my god, anything like that. That's kind of my barometer for success. Yeah, that's... This is this is uh, this is emote. This is food. Drive me to emote. Yes, and okay, and I I did set you up incorrectly because it's Maine in Connecticut, and I should have known because who I was talking to that Connecticut one is the one that's warmed up, dripped in butter, and yeah. served on a nice soft uh, brioche uh, roll. So I, I will say I've had I've had Connecticut lobster just because there was a food hall near my house in Connecticut. I would go there, and they had a bunch of different kind of food in there. There was Caribbean food. There was, you know, different varieties of Hispanic flavor. And then they had one sign that said New England-style barbecue. And I can tell you one restaurant that I never even thought of eating at was whatever <laughs> New England-style barbecue was. Absolutely the no fuck thanks. not. <laughs> barbecued clams? Like, yeah, I, th- I, I think that's just good, code but... word for meat that would get roasted on the internet if it were to be pictured and put there. Ooh. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like, we're trying over here. Come give us a shot. Yeah. Hey, E for effort and for quality. Um, Yeah, so uh, shout out to fairs, though. Big fan of fairs. Uh, Went to the Texas State Fair and saw a giant cartoon spray paint drawing of Nicolas Cage's character from Con Air in the jeans and the... You know, the yeah. white tank top undershirt that has a problematic name. Either, yes, like. yes, 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 yes. So, uh, yeah, core memory from the Texas State Fair before the Texas and Oklahoma game, which is going to have considerably less juice this year. And, Brandon, speaking of football games that lack juice, we talked a little Ooh. bit about it. Monday Night Football did happen last night, and sweet Jesus was that three and a half quarters of thorough ass. The Cowboys win 23-16 to in a game that largely <laughs> featured handoffs and incompletions until somewhere towards the end of the third quarter when the Giants finally went on and scored a touchdown. Saquon Barkley had one of those he's him, he's back 36-yard touchdown runs that, by the way, did cash a DraftKings boost on the DraftKings Sportsbook app that boosted profit for either running back, Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott, scoring an anytime touchdown in this game. So hope some of you guys got paid off of that. But Saquon had that touchdown run, and in that moment, it was like everyone on the Cowboys sideline remembered, oh shit, we're allowed to score, and decided to go out there and actually air this thing out. And so they end up doing just that. Tony Pollard goes for over 100 yards. Zeke Elliott has about 75 yards on the ground. Cooper Rush, 21 of 31 for 215 and a touchdown. Like, Brandon, this was the exact performance across the board from this Cowboys team that I think is emblematic of a team that knows their backup is playing. As much as Jerry Jones, I'm sure, is going to take sick pleasure in watching this game, seeing two straight wins for Cooper Cup since Dak Prescott went down, and going back to his comments about hoping he plays good enough for a quarterback controversy, everything about the game plan reeked of a team that knows we can't And we shouldn't put this guy in a position to air this thing out 40-plus times, no matter who we're facing on the other side. And they didn't. They leaned on that ground game. They created opportunities downfield off big max protection play-action shots, some of which which were dropped, by the way. CeeDee Lamb had an egregious drop on a deep route early in the game that he made up for with a one-handed touchdown later on. But this, to me, is... Probably something the Cowboys should think about and continue to think about carrying over when Dak does come back. 
Because I think at some point in the last couple years we've talked about, different games are going to necessitate a different game plan. I think back to opening night a year ago when they faced off against the Tampa Bay Bucks then. And they decided to air it out 40 plus times because that was one of the best, if not the best, run defenses in the NFL. It's sort of the let Russ Cook conversation where, yes, Dak Prescott has the ability to create outside of the normal realm of the play has a better arm than Cooper Rush and is a better quarterback than Cooper Rush. Full stop. But if you do some of those same Cooper Rush things, especially as the offensive line is still working itself out. We saw Jason Peters, the 40-year-old, former all-everything left tackle for the Eagles and Bills, get some time at left guard of all places in this one next to Tyler Smith, who's like 19 years his junior. It was good to see him out there. And they, they had him on a pitch count. They're still working him back into shape at this point. But looked good, immediately had a big run to his side coming in. And Brandon, while all that's getting worked out, while the weapons on this team are still getting worked out, and Noah Brown, who has been awesome at wide receiver, who is, you know, everyone's talked about, it's the go-to storyline with Cooper Rush. They were on the second team together working. It's clearly play, paid off for them in game reps. While all the rest of that is still coming together, I feel like leaning into some of these things and allowing that same help and structure for Dak Prescott when he comes back, especially coming back off an injury, is going to be a formula that can help this team even more. And something that I think at times, play calling-wise, Kellen Moore has certainly taken some heat in the past for getting away from some of the things that they do well and creatively in the ground, using Zeke and Tony Pollard together. So my hope is that not that there will be any quarterback controversy coming out of this, but that there will be an understanding and a realization of, all right, here are some really good ways that we found out how to use these pieces more consistently in spots where we couldn't rely on the quarterback. Let's make sure we give our really good quarterback that we paid a lot of money to that same help when he does come back. Yeah, Mike, but I feel like what I saw last night that won't help anything is the fact that Kellen Moore's scripted plays to start the game are ass cheeks. He gets better as a play caller when he's got to figure it out from scratch. I I just don't understand what's going on with Kellen Moore. I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for him to show uh, just how good he is. But maybe he is, Mike. Maybe maybe what I'm seeing from Cooper Rush is actually just an extension of, of Kellen Moore's calm, cool, collected demeanor going into this game. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I think that For me, it's overall game plan. If your scripted plays are great or aren't great, that's one thing. I think sometimes those can get overthought by staffs who spend so much time with them. But when you get into the body of the game, you fall back on the things that you've developed all week and talked about with your quarterback. What are we comfortable with? And what do we think we can go out and execute based on the personnel that we've got? So I thought they did that defensively. That group still keep Tony Pollard, man, I hope someday someone loves me as much as the Cowboys fan base loves Tony Pollard. And by that, I mean loves Tony Pollard in a very toxic comparison to a person they're still kind of in a relationship with Ezekiel Elliott. It's not, yeah, I mean, it's not a pure, unrequited love. It's very much comparative and dirty. But I feel like every fan base has one of these. I mean, it's not like it's you're thinking about an ex, Mike. You're talking about... Uh, a big love situation to go back right. to the Mormons and and, <laughs> and HBO's hit back in the day. It's like uh, I mean, it's easy to be comparative when you're talking about your only two uh, unrequited loves uh, in the backfield. There, uh, starting at the same time uh, on Sunday Night Football to begin this whole season. So, whew, but he looked good. Tony Pollard looked good. 
He does. And uh, everyone always, it's it's like the old uh, free Aaron Jones conversation that used to go on with Green Bay where he had all these really great efficient numbers and he didn't have yes. the volume people liked. And then he broke free that one season. And I'm sure part of Cowboys fans believe that Tony Pollard can be, and maybe he can be. There's certainly a, a notion of that. Ezekiel Elliott, markedly better pass protector. So there's give and take in both of those. But Cowboys fans, I see you, I feel you, and I appreciate your weird, strange fascination with this man. Um, fascination on defense still. Uh, this group is still balling up front. Demarcus Lawrence had three sacks in this game. The Cowboys had five sacks overall. And just a reminder of how sometimes box scores can be a total lie. Micah Parsons technically, Micah Parsons technically had one tackle in this game but was the Ooh. most impactful defensive player up and down that lineup. They were doing the next-gen stats tracker for him the whole night where he lined up in something like eight different positions pre-snap. They moved him around. He caused havoc. I'll be interested to see the pressure numbers for him once that shakes out, but he's one of the purest game wreckers in the game right now. Probably the biggest game wrecker in the game right now. And I think that even includes Aaron Donald, just because you can move this guy in so many places. Now, he's not better than Aaron Donald, full stop. No. Aaron Donald is the best at what he does in the NFL. But as far as yes. what Micah can do to you, I think just because it's so much more cumbersome to try and account for a guy who they can move all over the place... They'll do that some for the Rams with Aaron Donald, but for the most part on the interior, you can throw multiple big bodies at a guy by redirecting protection, whereas on the edge, yeah, you've got chips and tight ends, but we see that's not always cohesive. As an offensive lineman, you're not as used to working with those guys, and we saw that, man. Evan Neal, the right tackle for the Giants, had a rough, rough night that he's going to want to forget uh, going up against one of the best pass rushers in the game in Demarcus Lawrence. So that was that was a tough one, man. I felt for him. He's a really good player coming out of college who, based on what we've seen from Andrew Thomas, don't write Evan Neal off because of a couple of bad games to start the season. Andrew Thomas is playing sure. by some people's counts as a Pro Bowl level right now. I heard Kyle Long talk about this in the Greenlight podcast. When you're a young player, especially a lineman, going up against guys that are vetted, second contract pass rushers, you're going to get got at some point early in the season. It's like we used to say in college, he's on scholarship too. And in this case, that guy's on a better scholarship than you because he's been doing this for mm. longer. You just can't let it snowball and can't let it get so far in your head that it wrecks your whole year. So hopefully that's the case for him. But man, that was a tough one. Back to, to Michael Parsons. He was almost inactive for this game. He had the yeah. illness. We didn't kind of going back and forth. And he's so young, Mike, that he posted the the Jordan flu game uh, tweet as if uh, suggesting that you know he was going to give a, a flu like game, a flu game like performance. While you know people of our age and elk are thinking like, oh, you just got really drunk last night, like, you know, or he like, didn't watch we, the we last dance and didn't realize that he was poisoned by a pizza. Right, right, exactly. He's so young that exactly. he didn't watch so, the documentary that came out in 2020 because he was busy being young. He was probably, I listen, he was probably getting ready to go to the NFL at that point in time. But yes, as much as I want to give credit to the Cowboys defense, which everyone, you can always, you always can. There's a lot of millions of dollars over there waiting for you to give credit to them. Daniel Jones, Mike. There's something I, I love the concept of the the quarterback being the reason why the sacks are coming, and that's a new phenomenon that Joe Burrow has introduced to me. Just watching how the quarterbacks play, and Daniel Jones, Mike, 
I would say, should we rank him in the top five of dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL? Like uh, coming Bro, in at number five, maybe honorable mention number six. But he the might have been—he he, might have been the best athlete on the field last night. Like, especially for the he, Giants' he offense, it. he likes to flex it. Well, it's like. Part of it was he was under duress so much in that game, and there was a struggle for a little while. Kenny Galladay, they talked about the struggles for him, only playing a couple snaps in the last game. Bad drop down the stretch of this game. But Daniel Jones made some impressive throws and had, for a long time, their only source of rushing production in scrambles. I think Saquon Barkley ended up barely edging him out for the leading rusher in the game. But Daniel Jones was, I mean... Basically operating what we've seen from Justin Fields and the Bears offense so far, which is drop back and then figure out where you're going to run screaming away from pressure. I thought you were going to pause and say, Daniel Jones, he, he, he fast. <laughs> you know what else he fast, too. Like, he, he, he fast. And, and obviously all the uh, pressure was coming from the outside for uh, – the, for the Cowboys, so that that pocket was wide open for Daniel Jones right in the middle, so he had to take off and run. But he looks good doing it. Uh, I'm not like necessarily worried about him the way I was worried about Andrew Luck when I saw him doing it. But uh, I do think he leans on it a little bit too much. I think he might need to take a a little page out of Russell Wilson Russell Wilson's page uh, and 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 slow down running a little bit. Try to try to focus well, on the passing of the ball. Part of it is self-preservation in this game because he was pressured, I want to say, in the first half of this game. In the first two and a half quarters, he was pressured 16 times. So the dude was running for his life the majority of the game. But Brandon, part of that is also he's had a tough line in front of him for the last couple of years. He's probably internalized a lot of bad habits. And for Brian Dayball, the charge was, can you fix this in a year? Because they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. And so far through these games, while Daniel Jones has not, I think, been the reason... You know, Daniel Jones, as right now, they're two, sitting 2-1 two and one at this point. Daniel Jones, I don't think, has been a net negative for them, but I don't know if at this point it's trending to be enough for them to think about re-signing him in some capacity, right? This is still looking like a guy who's going to have to do more if he wants to be the Giants' starting quarterback next year because that's a similar conversation we had about Tua and about Jalen Hurts, who both right now have absolutely played up to a level that says they would be the starter in 2022. Or 2023, excuse me. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that right now Dan Jones is a Gardner Minshew esque great backup and potentially could be a Cooper Rush level savior for a team if somebody goes down. But yeah, right now he's not he's not panning out. I don't know, Mike. Some of those throws are really, really good. So honestly, I'll give you a better comparison than that, Mitch Trubisky. And I think Mitch Trubisky has probably accomplished more early on. Daniel Jones, for the first few years, had those really bad fumble problems and was very turnover-prone in that way. But I think for Mitch Trubisky, there was this notion that he had to still go and clean a bunch of things up, and people thought backing up in Buffalo for a year did that. Again, the Brian Dable effect of things. So I think that might be a more accurate one because of some of the physical gifts, which means that if he can go and sit somewhere for a year in the right spot, he can absolutely find his way back into someone's good graces because he was drafted in the first round, and that's how it works for those guys. So... Uh, Saquon Barkley looked really good tonight. The offensive line, when they actually block some plays up for him pretty well, Saquon had to be surprised because going back to Penn State, he's never had good blocking in front of him. But uh, mm. Brandon, the real star of this game uh, was the blue-faced Giants fan that showed up in the crowd. I don't know if you saw him, the grown-ass adult yes. man who was bald, painted blue with the one red stripe down his face. I 
he, I saw him wearing a wedding ring, and I kind of made the remark that I reserve for serial killers who get letters in prison from the women who adore them, which is there's truly someone for everybody. <laughs> yeah, like I'm thinking about the pa- the painted faces is one thing, but you got to think about where you are, like New York. Like getting on that subway or getting on that train, the New Jersey Transit, to get to the stadium, all blue face painted late at night. I I will say I feel like the safest place for him to be contextually is the places that you just described because you're around other like-minded fans. It's when you hold up something local like that to the national audience that gets to see you on a primetime game and that's when the internet starts to come for you. Because especially when your team's losing, it's like when Cam Newton wears a wild fedora to a uh, game and then has to wear it in the press conference after once he's lost yes. or had a bad game. That's when it starts to look le- a lot less funny. Russell Wilson wearing the Dumb and Dumber suit to his game back to Seattle to start the season. None of it looks very good when you're losing. So maybe he would have been celebrated for winning, and maybe we need to re- reframe our perspective on that. But uh, either way, incredible effort from that man. We'll see if he makes it into the NFL's top five, bottom five. Coming up in a little bit in the show, but um, Brandon, on to something that actually will now be comparatively more interesting than that Monday night football game. Brandon, the Pro Bowl finally went ahead and did it. For anyone that missed the news yesterday, the NFL finally went ahead and did what people have been clamoring for for years as the Pro Bowl became... Really a game of touch football because so many guys wanted to understandably avoid catastrophic injury. Oddly enough, a guy we know really well in Tyler Eifert, who was at one point in time a really talented tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals, had a monster season, went to the Pro Bowl, and then suffered an ankle injury that really affected the trajectory of the rest of his career. And I think that was one of the many instances where the lights went on for guys. So... The NFL's announced that they've eliminated the full contact all-star game and are going to replace it with a week-long skills competition and flagged football game. The new event's going to be called the Pro Bowl Games. It's going to feature AFC and NFC players showcasing their football and non-football skills in challenges over several days. The 23 games are going to be in Las Vegas. The flagged football game's going to be at Allegiant Stadium. uh, And that'll be the weekend before the Super Bowl, so February 5th. Peyton Manning and Omaha Productions are going to shape programming to promote the event's content throughout the week. And Manning uh, will also provide his perspective and be a part of the coaching staff for the flag football game. And Brandon, uh, this is the smartest thing the NFL could have done, the Pro Bowl. While it's still, I'm sure, rated because everything football-wise rated was steadily becoming stale. And at the same time, they had been kind of soft-launching some of the more interesting events. The quarterback skills challenge with the funky obstacle course the dodgeball games, the drone drop, all this stuff that I think was pretty well received. And so they finally just said, we're going to go all in on this. And thank freaking God, it's about time. Yeah, Mike, I'm excited for something different, something new. I'm excited for kind of like to have something on my kids in this regard. Like we're watching the Pro Bowl. I'm like, hey, y'all know back in the day, these full pads. You know what I mean? They, you know, and even back, and even before then, Sean Taylor laid out a punter and almost decapitated him. Like, like we finally get to step into this new realm of like being able to say like the new normal of things. Because I do think that there's going to be some fun football played out there in the flag football realm, and like there's going to be new exciting some like people getting gotten, ankles getting broken, and you know different things of that nature. Like, I don't think the injuries are out of the question because you know if anybody plays flag football, with me. You know, your lower body is – is uh, EMT needs to be nearby, I'll say that. But uh, these are professionals. I'm interested in seeing how it goes. But I would like to see more speed, agility, 
and smiles out there. Some sunglasses with some backwards visors. Like, there's going to be a whole new vibe out there, Mike. Like, I, I want to be a ball boy for the, for the new Pro Bowl flag football games. I'm less interested in the flag football game itself. I still think that's going to be far down the list for me. Really? I really hope that they lean into the opportunity to have some fun with the other events that they come up with. Like, like Brandon, like I think, like, do you have any dream events for the Pro Bowl? Because I saw a couple that started jogging my mind. Jason Kelsey, the center for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, who's been to a lot of Pro Bowls, suggested a hot dog eating contest among the big guys, which, excellent idea. I know a guy that's called a couple of Good. Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Contests that could definitely help oh, you guys out with the production of that event if you're so inclined. But like that's the kind of stuff that we need here. Hot dog contest from Jason Kelsey. We've seen dodgeball already. I saw a bunch of people float big guy seven on seven. O-line and D-line only, Ooh. seven on seven. You remember before we played in the Sheraton Hawaii Bowl, and I mean played, I mean we redshirted because we were redshirt freshmen and got to go on paid vacation yeah. to Hawaii for a week. But before that Amazing. game, the day before, we would go out. Before practice, there's one section called Pat and Go where the quarterbacks just go and throw go balls, get warmed up with the wide receivers. Charlie Weiss came in before practice and said, we're going to switch it up. The receivers are going to go do the O-line, D-line warm-up, which is a bunch of ladder yes. drills and bag drills and bullshit. And we got to go do Pat and Go, and it was like the happiest days of our life because offensive and defensive linemen don't get the chance to do fun stuff during practice and so it was awesome so big guy seven on seven seems like a foolproof idea because you need to put these guys in the situations that they've always wanted to be in and don't get to it's like i say why it's why o-lyman yes. o-lyman drop weight post career and running backs get fat is because we had to be fat for a long time and we wanted to be skinny and running backs and skill guys had to be skinny and a lot of them don't want to have to count their calories all the time or their metabolism just slows down. Mike, I'm going to need your help with this one because this is my perfect thing. Uh, what is the – this is happens it, – it happens a lot at lineman camps where you get to play football and everyone – it's like, you know, the – I forget. What, what's the name of it, though? Razzle. Razzle Dazzle. I got you. I Razzle got you. Dazzle, Mike. Razzle effing dazzle that's what i want to see in the pro bowl amongst linemen a little lineman game of razzle dazzle if you don't know what razzle dazzle is it's basically anyone is quarterback can advance the ball down the field with a big pass and you know it's touch once you get there but you know you got to get to them you know and it's a razzle, razzle dazzle um but outside of that mike i think squid games showed me something that i really want to see what? the suspend the suspended the suspended tug of war. Oh, <laughs> like, let's get some let's, I thought you were going to make kill war. these guys. <laughs> I thought we start murdering the best NFL players I, one by I one. I do love team tug of war, though. <laughs> Obviously, without a fall to their death after, but. Well, not not a fault to the death, but like uh, oh, hell, into one, got, into let's, one of those, get, let's like, get with the holy moly people or the uh, yes, the, like the, one the, of those the wipeout people, the squishy pits of uh, foam that they use at gymnastics places. I've always wanted to jump All into that. those again. Give them a thing that they've always wanted to do. Football players never get to dump into those, and and also linemen are are I want to say traditional. 
I would think that most linemen are afraid to falling uh, for long periods of time just because yes. of weight and inertia. And, you know, you know I think a lot of football like, players are scared of heights. I don't know what I base that off I'm of saying. other than some anecdotal experience, but I feel like football players have a larger percentage of players afraid of heights than most workplaces. <laughs> Right, just it just people that are just literally grounded in in more ways than one, and I, I think that it will just give some high stakes, literally high stakes, if we get like three feet in the air, tug of war, two platforms, and you know, see AFC versus NFC. I mean, if they just did the full Squid Game with those guys again, without the brutal murders involved in the middle, that could be entertaining in its own right, and. It would be one of the very few times the NFL has been on time culturally in some of their references and would actually be drafting off a current trend. So something to ponder there. Referees referees in the red jumpsuits. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet some of those refs would love that shit. Um, Some of the other ones I had, I will still – well, I'll save my best idea for the end. Uh, One other one I thought of, karaoke would be great. I think you have team karaoke among these guys – Turn it almost into like a like mass singer America's Got Talent style thing where maybe you've got judges from different branches of the league office or different coaches or something like that to have these guys and judge their singing. I can tell you that it's a great idea because if you remember from our All American game, U.S. Army All American game, uh, we had a singing competition. I sang for the East and won for the East in that competition right in front of uh, Coach Boone and Coach Yost. From uh, remember, the uh, remember the Titans fame, <laughs> the act, the actual ones, by the way, not not yes. not Denzel. <laughs> yes, Coach Boone and his wife. She was right there beside him. It was it was beautiful to see. Um, but yes, I, I can't remember. Was it Raheem Moore? Uh, I, I can't remember the D. It was a it was a DB who I ended up beating. We sang Alicia Keys falling, but it was it was it was surprisingly fun for everyone to see. You know, representatives for your team go out there and try to sing for the for the team. And we know the audience loves this football-wise already because every year during Hard Knocks, we just saw Aiden Hutchinson become a star singing Billie Jean during the Lions exactly. Hard Knocks. People love it when you exactly. get guys a little bit out of what they're used to and get them singing in front there. Dodgeball's been a good one that I hope they go back to. I would love to see some sort of game show integrated, give Aaron Rodgers a place to go and not be pl- problematic and do the things he loves. This is what I'm thinking, like Brandon. That. You either go, divi- you, you do it by divisions, I think. You would still have AFC versus NFC, but you break it up into divisions. Because I want either family feud between divisions, double dare, Mm -hmm. because then you'd have the physical challenge, or so you can incorporate more teams, you go Legends of the Hidden Temple. Just full-on recreate it. We've seen the NFL has the partnership with Disney, or excuse me, with Nickelodeon, so they've got the capabilities to pull this off licensing-wise. I think that would be a really big... Again, we talked about this the other day with... um, with Rihanna being the halftime show. If you're trying to appeal yes. to who you think is the meat of your fan base, it's us, the people who grew up watching those shows. Yes, we want to see the Blue Barracudas. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the rest of the team names of the Legend of the Hidden Temple. Um, do you remember them? No, I remember the Temple Guards and the Shrine of the Silver Monkey, though. Silver Snakes... Like every every team had a had a specific thing, but anyways, yes, that would be amazing, Mike. I, I'm I'm definitely down for that. I see you over there feverishly uh, looking stuff up, but I want to give out my my next game. That it's the it's with. the red jaguars, the blue barracudas, the green monkeys, the orange iguanas, the purple parrots, and the silver snakes. 
Purple Paris. Purple Paris is my ish. Purple Paris is my ish. Um, always rooting for him. Very, very scary when the Temple Guard will pop up in a maze. I can't believe you. more of them didn't get punched. I, I, it's whew. we're '90s kids. We do what we're told. We got we got we got uh, demons. Us, us '90s and '89s. I'm looking at you, Mike. True. Uh, babies. Um, here's something else. I think this is important. I think this game should be brought into it. A little physical gives you a little bit of barbaricness that you that you know we like with our football. Paper, rock, scissors, smack. Okay, so just sitting there. <laughs> Hands locked, paper, rock, scissors, obviously strong hand, the one you're throwing out there with. Win or lose, smack, strong smack across the face. And probably just three rounds of it, I think we should get a winner. Hopefully Aaron Donald would, would participate. I can see him winning that, being uh, predictive of where the person's going to go, paper, rock, or scissors, and also that strong smack across the face. Because there's not a lot of room. you got to just do it within your range, but I think that would be fun to see. Number one, stop calling it paper, rock, scissors. It's rock, paper, scissors, you heathen. Uh, second off, I love this idea. I went to one time uh, Wisconsin's big party weekend is called Mifflin up there. I don't even know if they still do it because someone got like stabbed the year after I went, and I think that changed the tenor of things. But it was one of the most insane parties I've ever been to. And when I pulled up there, the first thing I saw walking past a house party was two guys playing rock, paper, scissors, slap on their front lawn in the middle of a party and that was when I realized this is going to be an incredible night so all for that one um, even though it would definitely start fights out there that the NFL is not looking for Brandon the two that I want most involved I want to bring back the NFL's strongest man I don't remember how often they did that at the Pro Bowl, but I just went back and watched the other day Larry Allen do 43 reps of 225 wearing like Air Force One lows and barely warming up. (laughs) It was another terrifying example of how strong Larry Allen is, but I feel like just in general, finding some strongman acts that won't hurt guys and will still impress the masses, awesome shit as someone who's a child of growing up watching the world's strongest man. But more than anything, Brandon, the number one thing I've always campaigned for at the Pro Bowl pick up basketball you got to find a way to make it a part of it i don't know if you go three on three so that the spacing is better and you have fewer guys banging bodies in there but the number one thing football players want to do and you know this brandon because the amount of conversations had in our locker room about could we field a starting five that would beat our scholarship basketball team were too many to count that is the mentality every football locker room is full of and you need to give them an outlet for it and it needs to be at the pro bowl Oh man, but I, I don't even have the words to to talk about just how much football players love to play basketball, but also think that they could be professional basketball players. They just chose the thing with the helmet. Well, because most there's a lot of guys that had offers coming out of high school, and they use that as the yeah. continued fuel to say, "I could have done this, and I just chose not to." Mike, I'll say this. I got a second interview to for an all that audition when I was a child. In my mind, I could have been Keenan Thompson to this day. <laughs> That's on God. I just I just didn't go. I told my mom, you know what? I ain't trying to go to Orlando. Let's not do that. Oh man. 
I I'm glad you don't I'm glad you don't hold that against your mom. I once got asked walking into the mall if I wanted to go and see a movie that was being screened and then give my thoughts and a review of it after. And my mom said no, we have we're busy and we have places to go and told me I'll have another chance to do that at some point. And I never had another chance to do that. And short of my mom selling my Pokemon cards out from under it, it is the number two thing that I hold against my mom for the rest of my life is that I was robbed of my chance to be a heard and valued movie critic. And like, you know, you were the demo because you were asked. Yes, they saw me and they clearly saw potential. They're like, oh, he's the one. We need him in this. And my mom thinking, oh no, this just happens all the time. Cost me an opportunity. Never forget it. As long as I'm You could have, you could have, you could have affected that second edit. Um, also, since we're just talking about our accolades as children at malls and whatnot, I won a Oreo stacking competition back in the day in Detroit at a Target, and uh, I could have, I could have went, <laughs> I could have went to the next level, Mike, but I, I just didn't, I didn't sign the paperwork. I just went in there, showed out, and got out of there. I love the idea of you being like an American <laughs> Idol contest contestant and bawling out at the first audition and be like, Nah, I'm good. No, I just had to prove I, it to myself that I could. <laughs> I just had to show myself it's not about you or the world. It's about who's in here. It's about little Brandon who's got to know. Uh, intrinsic. God. Ooh, okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, as always, tweet us at Gojo Show. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star rating and a review. If you've got anything else that needs to be added to the Pro Bowl, or if you're Omaha Productions and you just want to call us and let us fill out the programming – because as you've Ooh. seen, we've got ideas. These are all our intellectual property, and if you steal any of them, we will lawyer up, even though the Mannings would absolutely wear me down with money in court, and that would end in horrible financial ruin for your boy. But I will still make idle threats about this. So Omaha, call us. We can be a friend to you on this front. Uh, speaking of friends, Brandon, we're going to get to talk to Roddy Jones here in a second, ACC Network and ESPN College Football Analyst, and... About a lot of things in the world of college football, one of which wasn't our alma mater, who's a little bit back right now. I think North Carolina was the perfect slump buster for Notre Dame, considering defense is not an area that they are very strong in right now. And so the Notre Dame rushing attack got back online. Austin Estime looked like a freaking beast out there. Tyree, all those dudes. Jeez. Michael Mayer, big game for some reason. And somehow North Carolina decided covering the best tight end and probably the best player on the field wasn't a thing they wanted to do. So overall, was super surprised on a weekend where so many teams dealt with turmoil in college football. Michigan close one with Maryland. Oklahoma losing to Kansas State, the game I was at and calling. Clemson going to overtime with Wake Forest. It was such a relief to be walking into the stadium and just casually checking the score and being up three touchdowns. I... I could get used to that again. I'll tell you what, North Carolina, that was the game for us to do it. I don't know. It's In this new realm of Notre Dame football, North Carolina just seems to be the, the tune-up game. It's always been a, a high – it's always forced us to score a lot of points, which is always good for us moving on in our season. It's very good. Yes, you're right, especially for Drew Pine, the quarterback. He looked so much more comfortable out there. The line looks more comfortable in front of him, which is the second week. This is what I was talking about when I said it's nice that the eyes won't be on Notre Dame anymore. Because Notre Dame won that game and no one cared and no one talked about it. And that's perfect because you heard Marcus Freeman say after the game, this is about process right now, which is exactly what we said. It's a chance for them to just go and do the work of developing this team. 
And right now it looks like that's yeah. happening. They got deep into the bench with some freshman guys who they were getting out onto the field, some new numbers out there for Notre Dame fans to tap in with. And this is, again, all – these are all good and positive signs. And now I understand Cal and North Carolina aren't world beaters. Clemson and USC are still going to be the you know marker games on the schedule for where we're actually at in this. But these are positive signs and a sign that this season is still going to have a ton of value. And we saw that show up out on the field against North Carolina. So very excited for the Irish. Very excited for Coach Freeman and company. Again, everyone just leave Notre Dame alone right now. Don't look in our direction. you got plenty of other stuff to worry about. Let them keep doing the work. And then all of a sudden we'll see what's going on in November when we show back up here. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Roddy Jones about the rest of what went on this weekend in college football. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings, and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. All right, Roddy Jones back with us on the podcast here, ESPN and ACC Network analyst. You can also catch him and me chopping it up on Mondays on College Sports Now, which is always a good time there. And Roddy, I feel like uh, given your broad range of expertise, because I want to talk to you about Michigan and Clemson and some of the teams that you've seen and gotten to be on the call for this season in college football and just kind of the general landscape. We're you know about a third of the way through the season already, just taking stock of what we got here. But... Very high demand right now for you as, unfortunately, Georgia Tech making some changes. Your alma mater at the top of the program here. Jeff Collins, their head coach, as well as the athletic director, both let go this week. And it feels like everyone has just taken this opportunity, Roddy, to start to have the Dion conversation, Dion Sanders <laughs> to the Power Five conversation with Georgia Tech as the helm. So how how are you feeling right now? Because I know changes at the top of the program are always kind of a difficult thing to digest. Yeah, man. I, I, to be honest, I'm a little sad. Uh, I, I, this was certainly coming, and I'm not sad, obviously, at the fact that that, that Jeff Collins is is leaving. Although I do have a personal relationship with Jeff Collins, I've known him since I was a recruit. He was at Georgia Tech as a director of player personnel. Um, the results suggested that this was going to happen, but whenever your program is at a place where you have to fire a coach and an athletic director midseason, you're in a bad place. So so I think I'm, I'm sad at the realization that the program that I played for, that I grew up with being a guy from Atlanta, is at that place. Um, now, that being said, I think there's some optimism about the direction of the program going forward. And, and honestly, there's some optimism about Georgia Tech having to make some really hard decisions about where they want to be in the football landscape that that will bring a lot of clarity and hopefully a lot of a uh, lot of positive and positive energy to the program um but anytime you have to fire your head coach and your athletic director before september ends in a football season you're not in a good spot so there's there's some sadness that comes with and, that. and you mentioned jeff collins had been there before as a player personnel role came back here and really seemed excited about what he could try and do a lot of it was focused on branding around the culture jeff collins even going back to temple had been a really high energy guy and someone who was going to be a good salesman for the program and 
that didn't end up translating in the way that a lot of people thought it might onto the field. And this is a program that was making the transition from being a triple option team, trying to take advantage of that Atlanta metro area as such a fertile recruiting hotbed right now. Roddy, in your mind, when you look at now, because all that stuff I talked about identity-wise for the program, who does Georgia Tech need to be or who can Georgia Tech be in the modern college football landscape now? And how does this next hire impact that? Yeah, I think Georgia Tech should be a team where the the floor, the absolute floor, unless you know you have a ton of injuries and, and you just have a, have a one of those one of those years. I think the floor is certainly a bowl team. That's what it was for eighteen straight years until twenty seventeen, where under Paul Johnson they missed it for the first time since I believe it was like the whatever that whatever it works out to be. I think ninety eight or ninety seven. Um, so so th- that 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 I think is the floor of this team. And then at its at its peak, it's a team that needs to in a year where you don't have a national championship contender. Uh, you need to be able to compete for and, and win the league. Uh, that's where Georgia Tech needs to be, which, by the way, the three prior head coaches before Jeff Collins all either shared the ACC championship, which uh, uh, George O'Leary did, played for the ACC championship, which Chan Gailey did in 2006, or won an ACC championship, which Paul Johnson did in 2009. So so it, it has been done. Now, that was at a time where the ACC didn't have a Florida State of the early teens and Clemson certainly – of this era, but, but that's where Georgia tech needs to be. And so, you know, to me, it's more thinking about how do you achieve that? Is it through recruiting? Is it through development? And I think it's a little bit of both being in Atlanta, but uh, looking at like what Wake Forest has been able to do with Dave Clawson and the investment that he's been made in the program. And I think even a, a, probably a more apples to apples comparison is Dave Doran at NC state, a developer of talent, multiple first round picks, um, a, a guy that gets good recruits out of North Carolina, not the best out of that state because they go to Georgia and 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 they go to you know UNC and and they go to some of the some of the big name programs, Clemson. Um, but he gets enough good recruits where he's boosted that thing to where the only time they didn't make a bowl game or uh, in recent memory was that 2018 season where they were young and had a ton of injuries. So so that's kind of where I think they need to sort of model themselves with this hire. And you know, we'll get to the one big name. A lot of the names that also get brought up, I think, are going to be the more of the usual suspects going forward. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal, Charles Huff at uh, Marshall, Sean Clark at App. You know, those guys are always going to get mentioned there. Roddy, is that kind of where you think the hire should come from group of five coaches that seem like they're up and coming here, because I feel like sometimes you'll see programs reach back into the past, go for retread hires and try and splash with a name. Yeah. The Bill O'Brien's been a name that's been thrown out a bunch because of his ties with both Georgia tech and the ACC. I think you're going to get in a situation where you can't pay Bill O'Brien enough. Like he's going to, he's going to be in the running for, you know, Nebraska's probably calling him already. If Auburn makes a move on Brian Harson, that's a call that they would make as well. So I think realistically, yes, you're probably looking at a group of five head coach an established group of five head coach. And when I'm looking at that, I want a guy who has not only shown that he can win at that level, but also has multiple stops of demonstrated success prior to that, preferably at schools that don't have the resources that its peers do, uh, because that's what I think would lead you would have led you to the belief that Dave Clawson was going to be successful. Did it at Fordham. He did it at Richmond. He did it at Bowling Green. Uh, that that's what would suggest that Dave Dorn was going to be successful. He did it at Montana. He did it at Northern Illinois. 
So how do you find that track record amongst people? And and like none of that's going to be perfect, but yeah, that's kind of the the type of coach that I think Georgia Tech should go for, uh, rather than like the splashy coordinator, first time head coach, that sort of. Th- it just feels like Georgia Tech can't take that chance right now. And I'm not saying that the safe hire is not is sacrificing a, the a, the higher ceiling. I just think that that right now Georgia Tech needs some stability and and really some substance. Deion Sanders is the name that everyone's going to keep bringing up, I think, for a lot of these Power 5 jobs. And part of this is proximity, what people believe he can do in the Atlanta area with his pedigree and his background and with the success that he's had at Jackson State so far. Roddy, do you think it's at all realistic with Deion at this point, or is that someone who's only going to jump when we start talking about some of the big-time Power 5 jobs that may eventually come calling? I don't think it's realistic um, because I think level of commitment to football is going to be a question that Dion has that I don't know if Georgia Tech is going to answer to his satisfaction. Now, maybe they will, but that would be a departure from where Georgia Tech has been in the past. Um, there's also the matter of Georgia Tech as a, as a school with very high academic standards. And so there's the matter of not only the places where Deion Sanders has worked and its academics, but also Deion Sanders' personal academic record is going to come into question um, prior because there are some I, – I think if you dig into yeah. to, to the college degree and all that stuff, obviously, that, that's something that Tech would have an issue with. And I think as a, as a larger body, Georgia Tech fans would, would, would kind of push back on that. So, so no, I don't think it's realistic. Um, I think that Deion Sanders will fit at a power five. Um, I think the academic restrictions at Georgia Tech would make it tough for him to do what he's done at, uh, at, at Jackson State. Roddy, let's look big picture in college football, especially coming off the weekend that we had uh, in week four. It seemed like all the teams that we've talked about as a potential contender for that fourth team near the top outside of the Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State crust got tested in a big-time way here. Maryland had Michigan on the ropes. Clemson and Wake Forest went into overtime. Oklahoma lost to Kansas State full-on. USC and uh, Oregon State played a game that we all had to get updates from Brett McMurphy and company on on line because so many people found out yeah. they don't have the Pac-12. <laughs> Did you have the Pac-12 network, Roddy? Were you someone that was actually able to watch that or were you looking at the timeline like the rest of us? I do not have Pac-12 network. I knew that going in though, so I wasn't surprised at all by it. I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch this game. It felt very much like the Oklahoma game from a couple years ago that was on pay-per-view where That's none of right. us could watch it. So we were just, so we were just on Twitter like like what's going on? And then on Monday all of us talked about it as if we acted like we watched it, but none of us saw it. And so that's kind of how I feel about this game. It was incredible. Andy Staples and Brett McMurphy, I think, saw someone compared them to Shams and Woj going toe-to-toe on the timeline to try and see who could break plays <laughs> first from that game. So thank them both for their service. You're right, so that the rest of us can cape like we saw any amount of that football game. But, Roddy, listen, you work at the ACC, and you get to see this Clemson team a lot. They've been off-talked about through, through this season. You covered Michigan in one of their last real tune-up games at the start of this season. Both of them got tested in a big way. As you look at those teams and kind of compare and contrast them right now, was there one that surprised you more with the result that we got this past weekend with how close that game was? Uh, look, man, I think I think it's a good question because Michigan had not been tested at all. I would say Michigan surprised me more. I thought they were further along than, than obviously – 
um, than, than Maryland. Uh, Wake Forest is a good football team, and I think Wake Forest believed that they could beat Clemson probably for the first time since Dave Clawson's been there. Like, like real true in my bones belief that we are going to win this game. Now they didn't because Clemson has better athletes, and those better athletes just af- out athleted Wake Forest. Um, but on the Michigan side. I thought overall this was a team that would take care of business against Maryland in a way that they didn't a week ago. Now, some of that's going to be growing pains with the 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 two first time play first year play callers and the way that they're calling plays, which by the way, we went there, talked to Jim Harbaugh and the two offensive coordinators, and no one divulged any secrets about how plays are being called. I don't actually know that they're calling plays. They may just be picking them out of a hat with all these guys just like taking turns picking them. I don't know. Um, They've gone full New England Patriots as far as just saying, yeah, we're going to go a vibes-based play calling. 100%. Like, who is the New England Patriots offensive coordinator? We don't know. They have two of them, which means they basically maybe have none, and it may be Jim Harbaugh. Who knows? Um, but, but overall, like their ability to take care of business, the commitment to the run, Blake Corum was very good in the game. Uh, I'm not surprised that, that Maryland was able to move the ball against Michigan. I think Maryland's pretty good on offense and Michigan's still figuring it out, itself out on defense. But, but I think, but, but that, that result, the, the, the fact that that game was close did surprise me more than Clemson playing an overtime game with Wake Forest. Is that Michigan team right now ahead of this Clemson team in your mind still? That's a really good question. Um, it's tough to tell with Clemson based on last week because they were so depleted in the secondary and they they played Nate Wiggins, who's a sophomore, Fred Davis is a young player, uh, Toriano Pride and Jaden Lucas, who are true freshmen. And those dudes got baptized. They got baptized against Wake Forest. So it's hard to know what this group looks like when they're healthy. Andrew Makuba, the defensive player of the year, rookie of the year in the ACC, didn't play. So that back end was really banged up. Um, I, if you press my feet to the fire, I'd say Clemson's a little bit further ahead because I do think they made steps offensively that are that are able, that you're able to build off of. I thought Brandon Streeter was great in his ability to use the tight ends and formations to help clear up pictures for DJ. The thing is, though, DJ hit a lot of low percentage throws during this game. Um, and will that continue? I tend to say no but I still would place them a little bit ahead of where Michigan is just because there were steps taken by DJ. And there's still a question of like Michigan's an offense with a ton of weapons, but like not a go-to yet. So outside of Blake Corum, it's great to have all these different pieces, but if you don't know who the guy's going to be in the moment, then I have some questions about who you are. And I'm not sure they have that at the top end. Does Clemson have a go-to on offense yet? Because you mentioned, I thought the same thing. Getting more tight end bodies on the field, a little bit more 12 personnel, nine that tight end is, I think, looking like a pretty good pass-catching target for them as well. Do they have a go-to guy outside of maybe Will Shipley in the backfield on offense? No, and I think they're developing that. But all of those guys played well during that game. Jake Brenningstool, the guy you're talking about, um, is a sophomore uh, tight end that's sort of that 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 uh, that flex tight end that could be moved all over the place. Davis Allen's a six foot six underrated tight end because he does a lot of the blocking work in the in the uh, in the run game, and then uh, is a is a really good pass catcher. Has made plays for them. But so, so it's a good it's a good question by you. They don't have that go to, but I think with Joseph Ngata and Bo Collins and and uh, and EJ Williams, there's enough there where you think they'll be able to cobble it together. And and while Michigan has something similar with Eric All and Luke Schoonmaker and and some of the receivers they have, 
Um, I, 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 I'm, I think there's just still more questions maybe about that group because the top end talent is there at Clemson. And I'm not sure the top end talent is there at Michigan. And you said DJ took some steps this week. What did that look like? Cause he's been a quarterback who going back to last year has been under a bigger microscope than most, just because the standard is so otherworldly high at Clemson for what we expect there. What's his development looked like in the early portion of the season? We all got to hear about him losing weight, leaning out, feeling more confident, but what's that looked like with Brandon Streeter's offense so far? It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness, getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship. Much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year and is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Gojo. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I think that first and foremost, the confidence is there, man. Like he's talking smack on the field. He's like, you know, he's 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 fired up in a way that we just didn't see him last year. A lot of last year, it felt like, you know, it felt like a guy that that knew he was being talked bad about, and, and so he didn't want to go out there and, and and showboat or anything like that. But on the field, his accuracy underneath has been better. He's made more layups. Clemson for years. Uh, has has had in its offense these easy access throws, like a little out to the field. You know, quarterback Trevor Lawrence raises it up, tosses it to to Justin Ross or T. Higgins. They get eight yards because that guy catches it at five, turns up field, gets pushed out of bounds. It's an eight yard play. It sets up second and two. He couldn't hit those a year ago, and now he's starting to. So it's it's it is it's been a little bit um, it's been a little bit more consistent from that perspective. Uh, his the throws that he made in that Wake Forest game were were spectacular. They were, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. They were low percentage throws down the field. I mean, talking 30, 40 yards down the field. But the fact that he made as many of them as he did is certainly improvement. And is will it continue at the same rate? No, but it's more than he hit a year ago. So so I think that development has been good. And, and he's been a more willing and more effective runner too. Um, so all of those things put together, you have a better quarterback. It's still not the standard of Clemson quarterback that we become accustomed to. But he certainly has gotten better um, better this season. Yeah, not everyone can eat caviar for lunch every day for a decade plus. And I think that's what Clemson <laughs> had been doing at quarterback for so long. I'm with you. There was a play yeah. in that game where they called a draw for him. And he went and just completely buried his shoulder into the chest of a linebacker yeah. in a way that felt wholly unfair. And it reminded me of that first DJ play when he went in against Miami a few years back when Trevor was still there. And they ran QB power. He baptizes some Miami linebacker. And we go, oh, they've got the next one. It felt like that yeah. 
stewed yeah. back a little bit to your point about the confidence there. Cause last year almost felt like the yips for DJ. Like I remember the Syracuse game that we got to call and that did just look like a quarterback that was overthinking everything that he did. So this is a huge development for them. Yeah. And I, I think some of that too, I, I, I wonder how much of that they told him to hold back on last year. Cause he got banged up with his knee a little bit, but also they didn't have a backup quarterback last year. Yeah. Tyson Pumachan, nice guy, but he's not an ACC quarterback. So without a backup, how much of that were they having to rein back with DJ in a way that they're not having to do this year because you've got Kay Klubnik, who is at least from a talent perspective, belongs on that level. Elsewhere in the ACC, because we know Clemson's going to be in this conversation all year long, that defense, it it's actually comical watching them on tape next to teams with normal humans like Wake Forest. Brian Brzee looks like the ogre from Harry Potter or the troll in Harry Potter that wanders <laughs> on the castle. He's just <laughs> reaching over people to make tackles. Terrifying to watch. Makes me glad that I got out of the game when I did before we started birthing these aliens on a more regular basis. But we know they're going to be there. Uh, NC State's in the top 10 now, but Roddy, this last weekend of the ACC, what the hell's going on in Miami right now? Middle Tennessee State going out there and absolutely thumping the Hurricanes. Because you're housing Miami. Roddy, we heard their coach talking his shit after the game. Correct me if I'm wrong. This was wall to wall. This is a team that wasn't fluky. They went out there and beat the Hurricanes. Oh, it it was wall to wall. Um, and here's the thing, man. Like, first off, Tyler Van Dyke. The the, the what happened to Tyler Van Dyke story is is something that we're going to be talking about all season if this thing doesn't get corrected because he looks like a completely different quarterback. He was terrible in this game. The first interception was just a lazy read. He just tosses it out wide, like expects a cover two corner to expand, doesn't check the corner at all, just throws it, and a guy breaks on the ball, picks it off. Um, so, and I, that was sort of emblematic of, of what happened over the course of the season. Middle Tennessee made Miami look slow. Middle Tennessee had plays of 98, 89, 71, 69 in the game, like against Miami, Middle Tennessee. It was crazy, man. It, like Miami had to scratch to get back within two scores in this game, two touchdowns in this game. So uh, I, I think the, the issues with Miami are, are systemic. Like Manny Diaz was not the problem with Miami and Mario Cristobal, just his arrival is not going to be the fix because those guys looked uninterested in being there. They looked uh, shell shocked when Middle Tennessee actually didn't roll over just because Miami showed up on the field um, and they, they couldn't run the ball against Middle Tennessee. They couldn't cover Middle Tennessee. So Miami's got some real life issues that they're going to have to get fixed. And I think it starts with the culture first and foremost, which is something that Mario Cristobal was supposed to correct in short order because he was back. The work was back. But I think there's a lot of people on the West Coast looking at Miami and being like, this is the experience. This is what you get. Well, I was going to say, especially on the quarterback front, because so many people, especially as Oregon fans tried to cope, and people in general on the West Coast tried to cope with losing Mario Cristobal back to Miami, was, well, look at what the offense was like with Justin Herbert. The guy we see on Sundays right. wasn't the guy that we saw on Saturdays, and how much of that was the offense that they were using him in as a part of. And I think with Tyler Van Dyke seeing a lot of this RPO-based offense, seeing him get fewer chances, I think, to air it out downfield – Certainly could be some part of that, but 
Roddy, like you mentioned the culture part of this. We had Tyler Van Dyke and the quotes going out there about how Miami doesn't have a college atmosphere and everyone running wild with all of that. Is this something you believe that Mario Cristobal can get fixed here in the next couple of seasons? Like what has to happen the rest of this year for year one to be set? As a Notre Dame fan, I've been asked that question a lot about our program. What does success (laughs) look like this year now that you're not in the places you're normally at? So what does success look like for Miami knowing what's already happened this season? Well, at least as a Notre Dame fan, you had like a familiar sighting this weekend of, of, of the offensive line absolutely dominating holes the size of, of you know, Canada opening up. And I know your heart just had to be full and, and, and warm. Um, but I, I look at I look at Miami. If they do not compete at the top of the Coastal this year, a Coastal that is quite honestly pretty bad this season, especially when you look at what Virginia Tech's bringing, Virginia's bringing, Georgia Tech's bringing, Duke is like a team that we're looking at like, hey, like Duke, middle of the road Coastal team. They just got housed by Kansas. <laughs> and they, didn't get, they didn't get blown off the field. They ended up being a one-score game, but Kansas controlled that game yeah. for most of the game. So, so like outside of Pittsburgh and Carolina's defense is brutal – if you're not competing at the top of the coastal, it's going to be a disappointment. And it should be, to be quite honest, because if Manny Diaz had been retained this year, like that would have been the expectation. And there's no reason that that would change under Mario Cristobal. And actually, it should go up. So uh, the things that I think they need to do, they need to be more consistent on the offensive line because I thought the offensive line, especially in pass pro, was very disappointing. And Middle Tennessee's got some good players. But the inability to run the football, and I thought there was too much pressure on the quarterback during this game. Uh, the the second thing is you can't have the type of egregious defensive bust that Miami had. Like again, we thought this was over with Manny Diaz being gone, and they were going to tackle better, and they were going to be more sound. Their run fits still leave a lot to be desired, and yeah, it's some of the same guys, but man, they can't fit the run worth a damn. And then secondly, the secondary just looked slow and. If you look slow against Middle Tennessee, I mean, what's that going to look like? The ACC is not a great receiver conference, but I can pick out every somebody on every single one of those teams at receiver that can give you a tough time if you can't run in the secondary. So, so those two things have to be fixed. But if Miami's not – they played Pitt the last weekend of the season. If Miami is out of the race and it doesn't matter who wins that game uh, and with Pitt going to the, to the ACC championship, I think it'll be a disappointment for Mario Cristobal. It's amazing to consider some of those things, especially you mentioned the consistency up front. I think that was something people thought for sure would be pacified by Mario Cristobal coming over here and the standard he's got in that spot. It's scary hours very early. Lift uh, my friend Mike Ryan up into your prayers right now. Golden Kane, absolutely (laughs) not having a great time. Um, Roddy, um, you're also going to the fair with your family later today, and I'm just curious because I'm someone who greatly enjoys a good fair. How do you attack the fair? You obviously go mm. and you've got other responsibilities. Your dad at the fair, so you've got to balance that stuff with the kids. But what is Roddy Jones's approach to going to the fair? First and foremost, uh, you need activities early on. We can't be sitting in lines for too long. So here's what happens. The kids go get in the line of the ride they want to ride the most. Like Pick your favorite ride. First one you see, preferably close to the front. We'll work our way to the back. But you go stand there while dad goes and gets tickets and cash. So that's the game plan walking in. And then, um, and then we just kind of go with the flow, man. Like Obviously, you got to keep the kids well-fed so that the attitudes don't creep in. Um, and, and you try not to in, in, you try not to indulge yourself too much because there's so many good delicious fried foods 
funnel cake is almost certainly going to happen, but we got to keep it to just a funnel cake. Like if I allow the funnel cake to be there, you know, the ice cream to be there, if we get cotton candy and that sneaks in there, then that's an L for me. I'm going to pay for that for a while. So we're trying to keep the, the, the food consumption to a minimum for me, trying to keep the kids well-fed, everybody stays hydrated and we'll all get out of there alive. That's interesting. So you're saying you're not going here to do like, you're not going here to indulge. You're trying to stay in the narrow path at the fair. It's bad enough during football season when I'm on the road, Mike. I mean, you know how it gets, man. Like uh, we we went to Pittsburgh and had an Italian spread that was unlike any other on Friday. I'm still working that off. I can't double down with like fried Snickers and a funnel cake. I can't do it. It's so true, and it's the cost-benefit analysis that happens all football team. Because you're right, I saw your pictures. You got to go to Primanti Brothers, which is awesome. Yep. Love going Carson Street's a blast, and if you want to eat your way through it, it can be a, it can be that good friend to you. But you're right, you're trying to train so that in the weekends you can enjoy this stuff. And while I love a good fare, and I would lack the self-control that you display here, because you're right. Got to have the fried dough mixed into all this. Fried dough, elephant ear, whatever people want to call it. I'm usually going to throw a corn dog down the hatch, any sort of oh, fried meat yeah, on a stick. To. Really hard. Mm-hmm. When they do those potato spirals on the stick too, always a little intrigued yes. by those. And then you yes. mentioned cotton candy is my biggest weakness. I don't know where you fall on cotton candy overall. I know a lot of people have opinions about that. Love cotton candy. And especially if I'm at a sporting event, where someone's hawking mm-hmm. that, or if I'm at some sort of county fair, I'm almost mm-hmm. always going to grab a bag of that and give myself a headache. Well, I am I am not a cotton candy fan, Mike. I am not. Mm-hmm. I can resist cotton candy in most situations, but if cotton candy creeps in at a fair, like that's a marriage that you just can't deny. I have to grab the cotton candy for nostalgia's sake. I'm going to have it melt on my fingers a little bit. Yep. I'm going to eat it, and then I'm just going to be sticky for the rest of the day, and I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I will regret my decision in multiple ways, but I have to do it because it brings me back to my childhood. Cotton candy is almost always a regret. It is almost, you're never going to leave that and feel good, both internally or externally, because you're right. I can just feel that crust on my fingers right now, and it's a nightmare. (laughs) And and you can't deny it, because if it's colored cotton candy, like your tongue is blue, your face is blue, your fingers are are different colors. And so not only do you have the regret, but you're living with it, and you have visual proof that reminds you of it constantly. And it's got to undermine your credibility as a dad, because I'm sure you're trying to keep your kids somewhat clean. Clean, you're trying to make sure they go here and act right. And if they look and see you got stinky boo-boo fingers, then all of a sudden you're in trouble. And they're like, Dad, I can't take you seriously with a blue tongue. I'm like, you better take me seriously with this blue tongue. <laughs> I appreciate, too, that bars and restaurants, the high-end, highfalutin ones, have started to lean into this knowledge that they know most of us can't resist cotton candy and that we're all little kids. And so you'll see them do the real artsy drinks where they'll melt a bunch of cotton candy into yeah. it after or they'll light some of it on fire, which feels really hazardous. But either way, it does. they know cotton candy really does have a strange hold on us the more I talk about this. Wow. It does. I hadn't thought about the drinks. I thought, you know, you know, the, the, the novelty of it, not only has it crept into, into like the, obviously the sporting, the sporting events and the places where it belongs, but also on high end cocktails. I'd forgotten about that. I don't typically order my cocktails coming with cotton candy, but I'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah. I think that's more for the the folks that are going to find themselves trying to influence behavior on Instagram. I don't know, Roddy, if you consider yourself an Instagram influencer at this point, the food pictures from last week influenced me online. So you did a good job with that. 
the very least. I'm just trying to influence people for like, you know, princess birthday parties and and maybe the occasional hot take. Uh, not so hot. T- I don't have hot takes, but the, the, the occasional football take. But that's about that's about the extent of my influence. Princess birthday parties and football takes. You can get them all anytime you tap into Roddy Jones. Yeah. Roddy, we appreciate the time, man. Best of luck at the fair. I hope you can avoid sticky fingers. Appreciate it, brother. We'll try. The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here. And DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. That means as we lurch towards March Madness, you can try and figure out who's going to win this whole thing. On the men's side, teams like UConn, Houston, and Purdue. On the women's side, South Carolina, Stanford, the Lady Irish in Notre Dame, or maybe Caitlin Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes finally get over the hump. Make the decision for yourself and head over and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code GOJO when you do. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get $150 instantly in bonus bets. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code GOJO, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Tuesday around here means we give you the top five and bottom five things from the NFL weekend that was. It can be really anything. This is a loose top five list. You'll get the top five teams in the NFL from me and Dad later on in the week. But, Brandon, this week you were in the penthouse. You got the top five. I have the bottom five. And we tried some listener feedback last time and alternated five, four, three, two, one. each of us going top five to bottom five. Figure we try it again around here. So I'll give you first crack at it, Brandon. Uh, start off the top five things from NFL Week 3. What do you got? Starting out with number five, Mike, and this may be a proximity, uh, recency bias, all the other things. Cooper Rush. I said that the Dallas Cowboys have the potential to go undefeated while Cooper Rush was starting at quarterback. And Dak Prescott is hinting at coming back next week, as early as next week after getting the stitches out of his thumb. So I could be right on this. But Central Michigan's finest led the Cowboys, uh, the first undrafted quarterback to win each of his three NFL starts and throw for 750 yards or more since Kurt Warner in 1999 with the Rams. I still got to watch that movie, Mike. Um, Obviously, you know, Kurt Warner went on to win NFL MVP <coughs> and Super Bowl MVP that season, something we're not expecting Cooper Rush to do. But uh, shout out to him and how he's handling these things. It was 215 yards, I think he threw for, and a touchdown to CeeDee Lamb, that one-handed grab. Uh, but shout out to Cooper Rush, top five in the NFL. I tell you what, if, if we have seen nothing else from Chase Daniel, it is being a backup quarterback who can come in in short stints and play really well by backup standards, can be an incredibly lucrative career, and being someone Jerry Jones trusts over a long period of time also seems like it could be very financially beneficial to you. So Cooper Rush, go out there and get that money. Keep stamping that backup card. Um, 
Brandon, number five on the bottom five from the NFL weekend that was, I went Urban Meyer just because we were looking at a 2-1 and Jacksonville team that looks really good right now and just boat raced two teams in succession in the Colts and the uh, Los Angeles Chargers that people thought were good, and I think in the Chargers case, when healthy, still could be. But Urban Meyer somehow managed to turn chicken salad into chicken, you know what, with that team last year and did it in... One of the uglier ways possible obviously ended with the accusations of kicking his kicker. So that's a tough look right now. And I feel like a lot of the conversation around this Jacksonville team was, yeah, I know Trevor Lawrence was a rookie, but how were they that inept with what were they had under the hood, under the hood last year? Yeah, it was, it was really ugly. And uh, Doug Peterson is on my list. So I'll save my commentary for that. Uh, next in number four on top NFL of last week, the Miami Dolphins. Scorching hot, white hot, if you will, like their Miami Heat. Uh, and obviously, all the good things that are going on with Tua, it's confirmed that it was a back issue. That's why he was wobbly. Uh, everything's on the up and up. And I do believe Mike McDaniel, because I think he's too much of a nerdy, safe guy to really break the rules like that, especially earlier on. I feel like, you know, he would have rolled it out with Teddy Bridgewater if he would have had to. Um, but the reason they're at number four for me, Mike, is not that big win over the Bills, surprisingly enough. It's them opening up their practice facilities to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in preparation for Hurricane Ian. I want to say Ian. I like to say Ian just because I like to do things backwards and wrong. But obviously, uh, during the Gulf Coast of the tropical storm hurricane Ian is coming up the Gulf Coast of Florida, uh, really hitting all the hot spots of that, you know, Tampa, Clearwater, uh, Sarasota's over there, um, all those things over there. So obviously the Miami Dolphins have a short week. They're playing the Bengals on Thursday night football in Cincinnati. So they are traveling to Miami to use their practice facilities to get ready for the game. And another, yet another element, yet another obstacle, uh, another, another line item variable to this, what's going to be a very difficult game for them uh, on Thursday. So it's good to pay attention to, but shouts out to them opening up their facilities and, and letting another NFL team in Florida come out there and, and kind of uh, bunker down and, and stay safe from Hurricane Ian. Yep, hopefully, and everyone else down there obviously stays safe. That's always scary stuff. I know a lot of people down in that area are are used to having to get ready for these kind of events, but still doesn't make it any less perilous once it finally shows up. So everyone stay safe down there. Very classy move by the Dolphins. Um, Brandon, number four on the bottom five from the NFL weekend, drones. Two times this weekend in the world of football, once in college and once in the NFL, we saw drones flying over stadiums and having to stop gameplay. The first happened when the Washington Huskies were at their field playing Stanford and play had to be suspended. And Pictures actually came out of a drone hovering over the stadium for an extended amount of time. And then on Sunday during the Seahawks game against the Falcons, the same thing happened in the fourth quarter of that game. Both teams were shown clearing the field as NFL officials tried to get a handle of what was going on and for them it's a player safety issue you don't know and they think of the most nefarious possibilities with drones um federal aviation administration has strict laws against flying drones in or around stadiums with 30,000 or more in capacity and drone use is prohibited beginning one hour before and one hour after scheduled nfl mlb ncaa or nascar events with up to a thirty-seven thousand three hundred and seventy-seven dollar fine which is Way too pretty of a number for a fine to be handed out. That seems very odd that they would pick 37377, but 
Uh, Brandon, being drone weirdos, and we see plenty of people with drones out there, and we know, especially in the Pacific Northwest, everyone's going to think of Amazon drones and Jeff Bezos just having a delivery robot gone rogue. But, um, sort of just weirds me out. It feels like there's probably some nerd that's trying to be a little bit edgy saying, look, I'll fly my drone over the stadium. I don't give a shit. And I feel like the NFL's got the technology to eventually catch these people. So I hope they do. I don't see a problem with drones just yet, Mike. If they're if they're carrying some C4 and want to drop it into the stadium, yeah, I think we need to uh, look after them. But just getting a nice little aerial shot of a very cool game, a kickoff, or you know the the flyover, different things like that, Mike. Like, what else do you have those drones for? Well, yeah, like, like rather than how being do you stop the possibility of that happening without stopping it happening? Period. Like, I like drone use as far as game broadcast, Brandon. We saw the USFL make use of that in a way that was pretty cool, using them for the angles behind quarterbacks. It's one thing when you're those, but you can't just have random people with their... It'd be like having no stadium security in a stadium and just letting people operate however they wanted and hoping they were all... I am weary of drones. I know we should be weary of drones, but when it comes to the NFL, I'm not. I don't. I don't until 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 a player gets shot by a drone. Uh, I think I'm okay with. All them. right, go back to I the know, top. I, go I, back I, to the top five before you incriminate yourself on here. Run screaming away from this. I'm going to be a good teammate and save you from yourself. What's number three on your top five? The cream in the middle of my uh, NFL top five uh, from week three is Jalen Hurts, Mike. Starting quarterback for the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Jalen Hurts has 1,083 yards, most ever by Eagles quarterback in team history through the first three games of the season. I love this so much, but what I love even more than that is Nick Sirianni using social media to gas up the Eagles uh, teammates that were going to play Carson Wentz. Did you see this story, Mike? No. Basically... I don't know if you've seen on social media, but there's the Kobe clip that's floating around about the redeemed team when it was uh, LeBron and, and D Wade and Chris Bosh and everybody was on that team and they were in the in the Olympics and they were about to play Spain. Spain was supposed to be the biggest uh, team in the Olympics at that time, and Kobe said, "I know Paul Gasol is my teammate. I know it's my brother. I'm gonna run through his effing chest." Right. And then everybody's like, oh, LeBron, this is the, the documentary clip. It's like, oh, no, he ain't going to do that. And then he runs through his chest to let his teammates know and let everyone in Spain know and let Paul Gasol know that he wasn't playing, that he was going to come after the jugular for his former teammate because now they're not teammates. And the fact that Nick Sariani used this like, minute-long clip that was just floating around social media and used it as a teaching moment for the Eagles going up against Carson Wentz. I absolutely love it because we all live in the same crazy cycle of just clips and, and media floating around. And football coaches will football coach whatever they see and turn it into uh, just like bulletin board material, which I just love. Loose lips, sink ships, all that type of things. I, I, it just feels very football-y. And I, I think that – I think – Kobe for being a part of Philly's demise once again, or not Philly's know. demise. It was Carson Wentz. I, I was I was tying Philly's demise to Carson Wentz, but uh, you know, 
Uh, Nick Sirianni seems like a uniquely Philly guy. We learn that more and more as he spends more time around that city. Very appropriate coach for the city that he is in. Um, Number three on the bottom five for me, Brandon, uh, the Chargers in injury hell. This team remains cursed. Mina Kimes said that the Chargers job looks great until you realize that it's like buying a house that someone was murdered in. And we have Mm. seen that show up already in this season. We have Justin Herbert dealing with fractured rib cartilage. We have all-pro center Corey Lindsley dealing with a knee injury, what will hopefully get him back out there soon. But we got the news after this weekend, all-pro left tackle Rashawn Slater has a torn bicep and will be expected to miss the rest of the season, according to the NFL Network's Tom Pelissaro. You've got um, Keenan Allen with a hamstring injury who's been missing time. Joey Bosa went down with a groin injury in this last game. And J.C. Jackson still dealing with the uh, complications from an ankle surgery. It's gone bad in a hurry around there, Brandon, and it makes me really sad because all I've ever wanted is to see a fully healthy Chargers team be able to go out and realize the hopes and dreams we had in the preseason for them. I'm with you, Mike, but there I will say there's something about that game last week, and it may have been the fact that they were losing to the Jags at home, but it was the powder blue, Mike. I was like, there's a reason why I never consider them to be contenders, and it's their jerseys. Because the jerseys are too good. Um, they they're the, don't. They're not they're menacing the, enough. They're the best jerseys in the NFL. Okay, they can be. They can be very like. Uh, what, what was his name? Uh, not Versace. The guy who was very Gucci uh, man. <laughs> I think it was Versace. Who I'm talking about. Uh, basically, you can have a lot. You can have very uh, flashy, great outfits, but it doesn't mean that they're functional. And I just, I just, I hate to bring it down to the jersey because it's very dumb commentary. But I just don't believe the char- unless the until the it's, Chargers change their jerseys, they're not going to win anything. It's not dumb commentary. You're just wrong because the jerseys are one of the best things about that team. But it's okay. You're allowed to be wrong about some things, and you're wrong about this one. Uh, what's number two on your top five? Top five NFL is Doug Peterson. Speaking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, they finished last in their division uh, for like in, since, since like. 2016 2017 um they haven't won more than three games in the last few seasons now they're one win away of doing that uh led by doug peterson and he's got trevor lawrence to finally look like the best quarterback of that crop that came out from 2021 obviously you guys remember that in the first round it was uh Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence being the number one taken. But through three games, he has 262 yards passing, three touchdowns, sacked twice, zero interceptions, which is the biggest part for me, and 71.8% completion percentage. The Jacksonville Jaguars look real, and I think Doug Peterson has a lot to do with it. He's been great. He's been everything we hoped he would be for that team, for that organization, but most importantly for the guy you mentioned, the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, because he deserves a lot better than what he had been getting. Um, number two, on the bottom five, Brandon, I had the butt punt in the Miami Dolphins game. With a 21-17 lead and just over a minute and a half left in the game, they had been backed up in their own territory. Thomas Morstead, their punter, had to line up 10 yards from the line instead of 15 yards, the way you'd normally see for a punter, and ends up going straight forward and kicking that ball right into the ass of Trent Shurfield for a safety. The up-back on that play 
took a ball and absolutely blasted him in the glutes. I thank God that it did not make it further down there and hit him in the back of the nuts. He would have been puking everywhere on the field. But it makes for one of the more stunning visuals of the weekend and an all-time moment that they get to laugh about because they ended up winning that game. Yeah, honestly, I was I was thinking about considering putting that in my top five because they won the game. But uh, it yeah, was, it's it it's was a, it's a real like good low light moment. It's definitely a good thing, yes. but you also punted the ball off someone's ass for a safety. So yes. Okay, number one, the NFL's top five, and I've been trying to put him away from my lips. I don't want to seem like a homer and talk about Lamar Jackson every week because you can if you want to, but I think it's deserving at this point in time. Lamar Jackson this season, per Phil Yates, first guest of this podcast ever, first ever guest on this podcast, uh, Phil Yates, number one pass, number one in passing touchdowns, number one in passing ratings, tied for, for fourth for rusher, most rushing yards uh, in the NFL. Most games in NFL history with three-plus passing touchdowns and 100 yards rushing. Lamar Jackson has four of those games. Lamar Jackson also, over the past eight days, has two of those games of three touching uh, passing touchdowns and, and 100 yards rushing. And uh, five players under him are all tied with one for that stat of five passing touchdowns and 100 yards rushing. Obviously, it's very weird, but it's something you would see from, you know, the best, most talented dual-threat quarterback in the NFL. And uh, as Ryan Clark has made it a mission to make sure that he gets paid and every time Lamar Jackson steps on the field, he's quote-unquote resetting the quarterback market, I'm not necessarily leaning on that because I just want my team to win. But I am so much of a Lamar Jackson fan at this point in time, Mike, that if they don't do right by him, if they can't win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson, let him walk and let whoever wants to pay him, pay him. Yeah, no, it would be dumb for the Ravens to let him go. He's clearly the NFL MVP at this point in the season, which I know doesn't count for the award right now. He looks more than worth the money. He's accomplished it in every way you could possibly want. We talked to Nate Tice about how they're more of a passing offensive now to start this season. He's erased every question you could have about him. Pay him his money or else it's going to just continue to rack up more debt for you with Baltimore. You could have had him earlier, and instead the price keeps going up. He has been sensational so far. Um, Number one, Brandon. Easy pick here, Jimmy Garoppolo, the new Dan Orlovsky, taking the mantle, Mm. the passing of the guard as Jimmy Garoppolo in the 49ers game over the weekend steps out of the back of the end zone, crushing racism with the back of his foot in the end zone, quite literally, and decides to step into the realm of the gods and take away Dan Orlovsky's scarlet letter of having been the only quarterback to run out of the back of the end zone in an NFL game. Viral moment for the ages. Awesome to see Dan Orlovsky so happy. We talked about it yesterday. Jimmy Z, number one in the bottom five for this past weekend. Going back out there in relief effort of Trey Lance and immortalizing himself in the process. That is the NFL's top five, bottom five. We appreciate you guys, as always, sticking with us through that. But, Brandon, it's come to the most important time of the show where I get to ask you, do you know what time it is? I do, Mike, but damn. Mm. 
A little bit of Monica in my life A little bit of Erica by my side A little bit of Rita's all I need A little bit of Tina's all I see A little bit of Sandra in the sun A little bit of Mary all night long A little bit of Jessica, here I am A little bit of this, that, and the third oh! This, that, and, and the, the third, third. Oh, if that don't hit you in the good parts, you're missing all your good parts. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you get your podcast. And tell Brandon how much you love Mumbo Number This, That, and the Third. And Brandon, (laughs) let's get to This, That, and the Third. Because this struck me right in the movie Good Parts uh, yesterday on God's Internet. Uh, according to Anwar Richardson, who is a former NFL writer over at Yahoo and covers fo- uh, UT football, that is University of Texas, for orangebloodsandrivals.com, Bijan Robinson, the star running back for the Longhorns, said he's been walking around campus in the football facility carrying a football today because he doesn't want to fumble again. Said teammates tried to knock it out. Even a student on campus tried. He held on to it all day. Brandon, I am so happy that kids today are still watching the program. Straight out of the Omar Epps playbook. Straight out of what's going on at ESU, clearly still resonating through history. Mike, I think you're leaning too much on the fact that you do know where things come from. I don't think these ki- this child, I don't think that uh, Mr. Robinson here is thinking about the program more. He's thinking about, okay, how do I not fumble? What have I seen in the lexicon? Like, I think the program is so much part of life that that he's just imitating life at this point in time. Listen, I'm just glad that he didn't use the part of that movie to go like lay in the middle of a highway or put his head through the glass window in the back of a car. Oof. That's uh, definitely more positive. Up. For Bijan Robinson, he's also not trying to fumble the bag. He's one of the uh, college athletes who's really hit NIL in the mouth. He's got a Lamborghini deal. And so I'd be trying to do everything in my power to make sure that that gravy train keeps rolling too. So if you haven't seen it already, Bijan, I'm sure longtime listener of this podcast, go check out the program. It's the greatest football movie ever made, and it'll yeah. continue to cement in your mind why you should carry this football around. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon, let's get to that. Um, continuing to stick in the realm of film and television, HBO Max put out their latest teaser trailer for a new series, The Last of Us, which is an adaptation of a really popular video game with multiple uh, portions of that. One that I checked with a very good and uh, a favorite of our close personal friend and friend of the podcast, Katie Nolan, who loves this game. Post-apocalyptic thriller that I will go running, screaming towards Brandon. It's from the same people, some of the same people that made the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. It's got a lot of those same themes, feels, and vibes to it, but a post-apocalyptic thriller that up there with movies about aliens and movies about giant fighting robots or monsters, I will always go see. I will give every part of the post-apocalyptic genre some of my time, and this one, based on what people have said about the video game and based on the track record of HBO, seems like it is going to be overwhelmingly worth it. I hear you, Mike. I think you've sold me on it just a little bit. What sells me even more, obviously, is post-apocalyptic. I like post-apocalyptic animation for some reason i think that's kind of you get a chance to get a little bit more crazier with that a little bit more fun but this uh pedro pascal guy who's who jumped on my radar i think he was in um 
Snowfall is where I first saw him in, and some uh, some other things. He just seems it's like one of those actors that you know, okay, I watch whatever he is in. He is starring in this, uh, yes. So uh, I will be there. There we go. Whether it is Pedro Pascal, whether it is Craig Mazin, who is the co-creator and writer of Chernobyl, give it some of your time. Nick Offerman. I have a feeling it's going to be great. Nick Offerman's in it. Nick Offerman's in it. Oh, wow, Nick Offerman is in it. I didn't even notice him in the trailer, which shows a lot about my reading and listening comprehension. But, yeah, even more so reason. Right. Nick Offerman, Parks and Rec's very own. Shout out, love, all the above. Brandon, let's get to the third, though. Maybe the biggest story in the world yesterday. Oof. And I say in the world because it involves interplanetary defense. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, um, let me set you up. Let me set you up. Let me set you up. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I'm missing you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. Harry, I love you. If anyone has seen the movie Armageddon, which if you haven't, get out and leave this podcast right now. Go watch that before you come back here and listen to any more of it. NASA and the people in the world of science finally decided to take that movie seriously and think about what to do in the case and in the threat of world annihilation by way of a meteor and NASA and their double asteroid redirection test or commonly known by the acronym DART just yesterday went on and impacted an asteroid dimorphous to demonstrate a viable mitigation technique for protecting the planet from an earthbound asteroid or comet this uh I guess it would be a satellite spent 10 months flying in space directed by NASA before making contact with the meteor that they had picked out it was smaller it was orbiting another larger space rock none neither of which was going to affect earth but Brandon this some bitch made contact and they had video and pictures going all the way to the point of impact and then this room of nerds lost their minds this had to be the Super Bowl <laughs> Christmas and 4th of July wrapped up in one for these people I can't imagine Brandon because you know at the end of a long football season when you're finally done and win lose or draw fans are always wearing the loss for a long time after the national championship we got our asses whooped at Notre Dame I can promise you I went and got so rip roaring drunk at the party that they had had set up for us because win or lose we were still done with one of the hardest seasons I've been a part of and we were going to blow off some steam I can't imagine what 10 months of staring at a screen praying that so many things out of your control go right in space so you can go and show not the US not North America but the world that if shit ever starts to hit the fan we're going to have Harry Stamper and a bunch of oil drillers on standby to go drop a nuke on this thing. But in the meantime, we think we might be able to hit it with a bird and drop it out of the sky. <laughs> Mark, I love it and hate it all at the same time. Like, uh, I feel like we're b bullying the asteroid. Like, we need to mind our business a little bit. Like, I, I think, Do you remember I think what asteroids wait, did to wait. dinosaurs? I don't. I don't. I was been. I've been told and lied to by white people my whole life, and I think that's one of them. So I will get to the dinosaurs later. But all right, Kyrie. <laughs> but for this thing uh, to see all those people who worked at Best Buy so excited that they finally made impact on this on this asteroid, Mike. I, I really don't know what to think. I really don't know what to think about this. I'm excited that the nerds are excited because usually when the nerds are excited, my life is is better. There's a little bit of longevity to it. You know, with the technology nowadays, you never know what they can do, what they cook up. Um, but yes, I'm glad the dart works. 
I just, I just, I'm worried about Mike. If uh, this is conspiracy theory, brand this may be tin foil hat, Brandon. But I'm worried about maybe what if one of these other planets and one of these other galaxies just sees, you know, uh, B thirty six or whatever the planet is called in their world, and is like, oh, let's see if we can shoot. Let's see if we could just <laughs> what do they call it? Redirect planetary defense. Like, what do you, what do you just? Let's see if we can move this shit real quick and, and blow it up. Mitigate. Yeah, mitigate. Let's see if they can move the, it off of its course to make sure that it doesn't crash into our planet. Okay, so there could be a mitigating technique for Earth from one of these other planets. And I just would I would hope that, you know, would leave us alone and just like maybe shoot Mars instead of us. So like I, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the other planets at the same time, Mike. You're thinking about the tempo that we've set for the rest of the galaxy or the universe on this front. Brandon, yeah. I think it's worth the risk. Again, we so very clearly scouted the target we were going to hit knowing it was small, there was no life on it, there was nothing that we were going to do or harm. I feel like most other places that are capable of this probably going to be in the same boat. And honestly, the only, it's not a conspiracy. My only thought process is I'm glad that these NASA people have figured out a cool way to do this because because we have Armageddon behind this and because we're launching something into something else that seems cool as a planetary defense system... I would like some people to take more seriously the thought of protecting the planet that we're on from us and from the things that we're doing down here. Man. It would be nice to have a planet to save and protect from the things that this is sort of like a the calls coming from inside the house situation when it comes yeah. to what's affecting Earth. Like asteroids, sure, I'm glad. And I'm glad that NASA has this one covered, but we need some help with the other stuff that's going on down here Mike, and finding better ways to get that information to people because they're clearly not internalizing it enough. Mike, let me be woke brother real quick. How many millions of dollars y'all spent on jet fuel scouting out small asteroids to shoot like a damn uh, water pistol that don't make no, that don't mean no difference to us. Like Tom, uh, I'm sorry. I said, I almost said Tom Brady. Brett Favre already stealing from the poor in his own damn neighborhood. We, NASA, how about y'all? Florida needs y'all help. Spend some of them millions on some Lunchables and, and spread them out uh, to, to the needy homes in in, um, in Duval County. Like, just, like or, I, I'm with you, Or Mike. figure out how to live on one of these other planets because we may need that option sooner than deflecting an asteroid. That or being said, I'm going to be really sad if... I'm going to be really sad if the asteroid ever comes and we don't have Rockhound and the rest of the crew of like roughneck oil drillers going up there and getting to try and seal the fate of the universe. I would hope that NASA also has that program ready to go. I don't want to poke holes in this thing, Mike, but the fact that we went and pushed over a little kid with glasses holding his books and his binder and his Pokemon cards doesn't mean that we're ready for the actual Goliath um, uh, meteor. Is that fair to say? Just because we shot the little no, thing doesn't mean we're, we're like prepared when, for the big one. It's like when people test things out on mice, though. You've got to start small and then figure out how to scale it. To your point, because you don't want to waste a ton of money trying to do this at a level that might actually be the one that we're working on here. Maybe they're trying to do right by that. Anyway, conspiracies aside, it was just really cool to watch and see. These nerds genuinely seem very excited. Scientists, engineers, all working towards the greater good in a way that seems to transcend some of the bullshit we deal with down here. So congrats. I hope you nerds are somewhere getting so drunk mm. and photocopying pictures of your ass. I hope it looks like the movie Office Christmas Party where you're slinging from sandaliers and stuff. It just <laughs> Obviously, y'all get home safe and get started on the next project that's going to change the world, unlike the dumb shit that we do here, but... 
they've earned a special Cheers. night of nerd fun wherever it comes from and however it looks. So, um, congratulations to them on that journey. Congratulations to you on the journey not to the ends of space, but to the ends of this podcast. If you liked it, as always, we'd appreciate you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, turning on that automatic download thing to help us out with some of those numbers. Come on, Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and then go check out the DraftKings YouTube channel. Subscribe to that and go look at our playlist, Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. under there, and throw us a bunch of those like buttons on there, because every bit of this helps. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.